Yeah, so the reason or the way Kryptonite was invented was back when they had the Superman radio show, I think in the 30s. The guy that voiced Superman wanted to go on vacation. They're like, well, you can't do that. We have a show to do every week. So they made up Kryptonite so he could go on vacation for two weeks and they could get someone that sounded worse and scrawnier than him to voice Superman for two weeks. And then he would come back and they would bring back his powers and he would sound all Superman-y again. So Kryptonite was just an excuse for him to go on vacation. Yeah, Superman was like, I want to get fucked up. You guys got to take care of this. Just uh, say I'm on Kryptonite and hire Joe. <laughs> It's interesting because, like, <laughs> Kryptonite is so iconic in the comic universe and even in pop culture. Everyone knows what Kryptonite is, right? And that is the bland, unsexy origins of it. It wasn't some writer that was like, I need to take Superman down a peg. I really want to introduce a challenge. It was Superman being like, I got some babes on the beach, so I'm not going to be here for a few weeks. <laughs> Well, I mean, kryptonite has transformed into a, a metaphor for, you know, the Achilles heel. But it's more, oh, yeah. it's more about like some special thing that like fucks fucks him up, like the one thing. Mm -hmm. So, so it is just like basically the Achilles heel. But the the I'm guessing the origin of most, I guess, like main weak points of any super character is some something really stupid. So for yeah. for Superman, it's like special green rock, and it's like I oh, know. <laughs> Most of the superheroes just have like some villain that's like the main guy that ruins their day as well. So th there's a lot of reasons to. That's true. What are we talking about today, Latif? I guess we're talking about writing. Yes. Yeah, and it's going to be a bit more of a a loose subject. For this week, but we're kind of talking about two things. Um, one is the mental process you go through when approaching either changing a scene or doing a rewrite or something like that. And the other is just kind of knowing when a scene is finished and how you dissect that. So which one do you want to start with? Well, we could start with the scene, scene work, I guess. How do you, Latif? Know when a scene is done. Well, recently I finished something, and when I got to the end of the scene and to the to the moment I was I was trying to create, I just felt very dissatisfied with it, and had to kind of walk away from it. But technically, I finished everything that I was trying to do. But I'm and this is the scene, not the whole script. It was a scene, but it was also the end of the script. Okay. Um, but I, th I think there's like a... Something that, that comes with time, or just with more experience, where when you finish something, you just have to trust the fact that it's what you're trying to go for. Um, and I think there's, there might be an idea of like, when, once you write something really well or when you write something that that feels like it's it's a good scene you have like a feeling of it being a good scene but I, i'm being distrustful of that feeling i don't necessarily think you're always going to have this kind of magic feeling of the scene being good or it being complete and i think you have to kind of trust feeling nothing and just being satisfied with knowing that you've done the work um, so that's just something that's kind of changing over time. Cause I remember early on in writing, I'd finish a scene or a moment and, and have a, like a feeling of joy and like, yeah, that was good. And I, and I did it. And then you're not having that as often anymore. And what's funny is you probably can't trust that feeling anyways. And you just have to be okay with knowing that you're doing the work. Um, so there's kind of not, not like a, internal existential thing that you experience i think it's more about just looking at the scene as bare bones as possible and and saying have i done what needs to be done by the end of it and i think going into the scene you have to know what needs to happen at the end and if you've done that then that's all you can really base it off of yeah totally and i absolutely absolutely know what you mean by 
when you first start out, just finishing a scene is, you know, you're ecstatic. It's great because you're what's required to satiate you is so low because you've never done it before. But then when you move on to your second, third, fourth script, just to finish a scene, it's like, okay, cool. I finished a scene. Well, now let's finish a sequence. And then you finish a sequence and that's enough to kind of get you going. And what's required to make you feel proud or happy with what you've done just increases every time you make something, every time you write something to the point where I agree with you. And now, unless I write a scene and I'm like, truly think that okay this one turned out just excellently i don't really feel um proud or like i've accomplished something until the entire script is done Mm -hmm. so what i'm curious when you when you completed this scene and you're like okay it's not what i want it to be but it's done was that in a way where because i know how long that script you wrote is and that's crazy long was it you saying all right i've been writing this thing for way too long it's done i just don't want to do it anymore or was it you saying that plus i'm going to go back one day i'm going to rewrite this and then i'll tackle the fact that this scene isn't what i want it to be on that rewrite like it's not good but i'll get it good later well, it's, it, it's more a feeling of when I was writing those, you know, those few scenes at the end of the film, or sorry, at the end of the script, they came so quickly. And I think that's what maybe gave me like an unsatisfying feeling that I wrote them so fast. Because, <laughs> I, you know, I've been writing this thing for a long time. And, you know, to, by the end of it, the page count was 179 pages. And then the the key scenes at the end of the film, I wrote them, you know, within a couple hours. So when I was finished and, and you, you write fade out and you're like, that's it. You kind of had this <laughs> feeling of like, what? It was like some big moment, this big, like kind of uh, epiphany where I'm like, yes, that's the ending. And it kind of hits me like some bolt of lightning. It was just kind of very mundane, a few clacks at the keyboard. And I'm like, done. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, but in reality, I'm thinking about like, should it have some moment and be this thing? It's like, no, it shouldn't. I think that's kind of perpetuated by movies and kind of like weird climactic moments that you see in general through advertisements too, maybe. And it wasn't that it was the opposite of that is the anticlimax. You know, you finish something and there's nothing, uh, extraordinary about it at all. Um, but I was kind of thinking about it more uh, a little deeper and thought that's probably how it should be it's probably more realistic that nothing special happened I'm trusting that more than anything because I'm trusting the fact that I've that I've written enough and that I have enough experience in my own choices and stuff that I can be okay with it just being done and then coming back to it later I can revisit and look at things with time and and ha- and have a better perspective on on how the writing is because I remember reading a script that I wrote many years ago for the first time and looking at it and overall um, I I could read it and say there are a lot of things I like here but then I could see very clearly where a lot of the problems were that I I wouldn't have recognized when I wrote it initially so I think it's the same thing with this it just with time, you start to trust your own voice more. And I think with scene writing and stuff, you have to just do the work and then not think too much about whether it's good or not, which sounds tough to do because you're always trying to gauge whether something is good or not. But I think it's more about building the skill. It's kind of like when you're doing a difficult task, you know, like if you're trying to get really good at throwing a curveball you can't think about whether every single one you throw is the perfect one you have to know you have to keep doing it and improving eventually to the point where you can throw very consistently yeah totally um it's actually interesting that you bring up having gone back and read some of your old stuff and you can notice new problems now because the thing that i just finished writing it was a short that i had written It was actually the second short that I had ever written. Mm -hmm. And now I'm taking it. And this, the short, 
had always kind of stuck in the back of my mind. I remember liking it quite a bit when I wrote it, and it just never went away through all these years. And when I finished my last feature, I was like, okay, I've had this idea to expand this short for quite a while now, and I've been feeling out the characters mentally, you know, not jotting anything down, but just kind of feeling what it wants to be and, you know, the tone and the messages and whatnot. So I went back and I said, I'm going to expand the short into, you know, what I wrote it into. And it was kind of the same thing, reading the actual writing of the short. I was like, okay, I like the story the short is telling. Um, I like the pacing of it. it, was shockingly, like I didn't change it pretty well at all. And the overall, call it imagery, didn't really change. But the way I described everything, like the actual written words, got a complete overhaul. And... Th- on top of that, the other than that, the biggest thing that I noticed needed to change was the way that the beats were flushed out. So I found that the way I wrote it, you know, way back when, when it was my second short, was very much like, this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens. And those moments in between those, you know, if I wanted a character to kind of take a second before this line or I wanted him to, you know, just pause or have this internal whatever here. I knew I wanted to communicate that when I was writing it. And I know I had the intention to do it way back when, but I guess I just didn't have the ability to. So now when I went through and rewrote the entire thing, like I said, every word on there changed and it's much easier to read and better now. But I also fleshed out just the, the tiny, uh, in between moments. Did you find anything like that with what you read from your earlier work? Yeah, there are, I think it's definitely their ideas and kind of concepts that you recognize as interesting or good or useful, but then really it's the writing itself that that is the low point of of the whole experience. Yeah. Which is sad, but at the same time I guess it's good because you actually can look back and see all the problems where where when you're writing it you're blind to them completely um so if i were to take that old piece of writing and and rehash it i wouldn't even use the actual script as a backbone i'd do a page one and just start fresh with the ideas and the concepts saved you you have to be very uh, objective i guess but you know i i I think like that's why it helps to get other people to read the work. But you know, personally, I I hate sending my scripts to people. I don't even they like sending them to like actors and stuff. So it's a tough process. Why do you hate sending your scripts? I don't know. I, don't, I never feel like I get anything useful out of it. Um, <laughs> I don't like taking other people's notes about stuff. It's hard for me to take notes about something that I've written, especially because, you know, I've done all the research and I've thought so much about it. Um, it depends on how specific it is. But, if you know, if it's something that's very heavily research-based and stuff like that, um, and I feel like I, I've really lived in this world in my head for a long time, and I get a note from someone that just feels kind of trivial, like, not a lot of thought has gone into it. Um, or also I just get things that are, that feel like there's no effort put into them. It's hard for me to be reactive to that. Uh, I think the only time I can send something to someone is if I know they're really interested in reading it. But I, if it's just like, oh, I just want to get someone's opinion, then it's hard to, for me to find the right people for that. Because oftentimes... Because I know this from my own experience. I don't like reading screenplays. Um, <laughs> I, I don't like when people send me scripts and stuff. So um, I understand the reverse when I have to send a script to someone. So I think I have that kind of uh, sympathy of sending people a script <laughs> because I know how much I don't like it. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, that actually kind of interestingly ties into what I was going to bring up next on the topic of, you know, the mental work that you do to approach a rewrite. I was going to ask you, what do you think 
impacts you the most and makes you a better writer that prepares you for these rewrites. And I'll give my example first. I was going to say the big two things for me is a, you know, just experience. The more you do it, you're, the better you're going to get, get at it. And for me, it really became, uh, confirmed when I went back to this second short and rewrote it and expanded on it. Just the amount of writing I've done, I am a better writer now. And then second, and first I'll say with that first bit, the amount of writing you've done, it that also ties into like the movies we've made, um, the collaborative nature that all of them have been in like you and I for party stories on what we don't say we worked super super closely together and what we don't say that was very collaborative with all of the cast as well so all of that definitely made me a better writer and then the second one uh, is actually reading scripts uh, I read the Breaking Bad pilot the other day mm-hmm. and I remember reading it and just thinking like this is the greatest thing I've ever read in my entire life. The whole thing just flows right off the page. And it, I find one of the things that I really am trying to get better at is just having personality come off the page. Cause White Vince Gilligan wrote that thing. Like when Walter White is on his, uh, exercising stepladder thing, mm-hmm. the way he described it was, uh, three easy payments of twenty nine ninety nine, and I was like, "Oh my god, I never would have thought to describe anything like that in a script." But now that I've read that, it makes so much sense, and it's not something that I'm just gonna directly rip off. But just seeing that, honestly, it felt like confidence to me on the page. Mm-hmm. Really inspired me to kind of think in a different way in terms of the way I try and poeticize my writing. Um, What are the big ways that you think are the big things that have helped you grow as a writer? I think it's half related to just finding subject matter that you're actually passionate about or interested in Um, early on when you write or when you try to make films and stuff, you're very influenced by other filmmakers, you know, people you look up to and you're always going to try to copy what they do or, or do some version of of your take on something that they might do, uh, which is very useful because it helps you kind of develop your own style and your own voice because you do make your own choices in that experience. But I think in finding the confidence going into future projects, it's really about really finding your actual point of view. Um, and also being, I guess... Uh, relentless and 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 finding what interests you. I think you have to be unapologetic about the types of things that you're interested in, and really make things that are um, compelling to you. Uh, I, I think when you are trying to make films that are more about, you know, trending topics or um, something that's I guess politically charged just because it's something that's happening in the moment. Um, but you're not actually um, thinking about the the thing you're making. You're just doing it more as uh, something of the moment. You can kind of feel it in a way. And you have to be more aware of the reason you're making the kind of projects you're making because if you're not really interested in in doing it then it's going to come through um and even in the writing it's going to feel uninspired and there's always going to be like a a surface level approach to all of it because more you get engaged in the in a topic or a subject matter the deeper you delve into the the world of it and the more rich it becomes and you can really tell when someone has a keen interest in in a topic because it feels so complete um and that just has to do with like the actual you know interest and in, in the passion in it so uh, i think the you know if you want the things you write to be really rich and full you have to actually be interested in them and care about them and not just uh 
write something for the sake of it. You know, so, you know, say people are interested in making big blockbuster movies. And if you just write it because people are trying to make them, you might be able to write something interesting, but ultimately you can't really continue that way. I think you have to, uh, I mean, if you want to do fulfilling work, you have to find something you're actually passionate about. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really, <laughs> I'm kind of embarrassed that I didn't say those things as well, especially the point where you said uh, initially you're going to kind of mimic the the filmmakers that you like the most, and it immediately hit me <laughs> straight in the chest. I remember the second script, not short, the second feature I ever wrote. Um, thankfully no one ever read it and I actually don't have a copy to this day, which I'm very happy about. Um, but the, I remember thinking the whole time I was like, yeah, you know, it's kind of like American history acts, but not racism and about this and about that. And at the time I was like, this could be really cool. I bet you if someone made this, it would be a great movie. And even just thinking back to what I remember about it now, I'm like, that movie was a pile of shit. I'm so glad I never had anyone read that. And it was pretty much just a a worse, I don't want to say a ripoff, but version of something with a slightly different spin on it. Mm-hmm. And now that I've written so much, I think it's inevitable that when you do that, you're going to start to hone your that what they call your voice right like what you enjoy to write what you're good at where your limits lie and as you push them where your limits will expand to yeah yeah that's a great point man great point i I think there's definitely also a kind of confidence that comes from actually getting something produced you know getting something made Mm -hmm. as a writer when you're when you're working on your stories and stuff you know, you might you may have written like ten, fifteen, twenty screenplays, but if if none of them have become films, or if you've never actually made one into even a short or something, I, I think you will definitely feel that once you finally get something to picture, it actually brings your confidence level up substantially. I think it's really important also to to write, but also to try to get the things you write made, even if they're just short films, because it really brings up your uh, level of confidence in your own work yeah absolutely and level of confidence and just sheer i'll call it writing intelligence like i've said to a ton of people and i will stand by it till the day i die i learned more making party stories with you than i would have learned if i spent 10 years just writing and never having anything i've written get to the screen just that experience of going through party stories, seeing what worked, what didn't, and then honestly generally being perplexed at some points. Because I remember when we had the final draft of the script, I was like, I could tell you X, Y, and Z are the strongest writing parts of it. And I was so proud of them. And then by the time we got to the editing room, I was like, why did all these parts that I think were the best turn out the worst? Like we're cutting out so much of these parts that I thought were the best. And it was just that learning of what translates from the page to the screen in an effective, engaging and interesting way mm-hmm. to learn that is invaluable. It's you'll learn so much more through that than you could reading every screenplay book on the planet and writing scripts nonstop for a decade. I will stand by that 100%. Um, did I imagine you probably felt the same based off of shorts that you've written and you've produced yourself, right? Yeah, actually making things and completing them does really make you feel more confident about, you know, whatever project you're doing next. I mean, even the short that I'm trying to get off the ground now, I don't feel any kind of barriers to making the film at all, actually. I think it's just about casting. Other than that, I'm I'm really confident in every other process uh, because I've already written the script. And now I'm just thinking about, you know, production stuff. And I don't really have to worry about if the film will get made or not. Uh... And I think if you're a writer and you ha- don't have all the kind of production experience and stuff, you're 
you know, you've written a script, but now you're thinking about, oh, what's next? How do I, you know, how do I get a director and all this stuff? So I, I really like to, you know, in, in terms of like labels and stuff, it, it's often not useful. But I think the only one that I find useful in the industry is calling yourself a filmmaker um, as an interesting way is more about identifying yourself as someone who makes films holistically uh which i feel very much um i i although i think it's for some people it's important to be like oh i'm an editor or i'm a director or i'm a writer um if you call yourself a filmmaker you're really more talking about the whole th process together um because if you write and you direct and you are just trying to make the films in general, I, I, I find that to kind of be a more useful way to think about it because you're just trying to get the process of getting a, a film or an idea um, completed. And it doesn't really matter where you fit into that role. You're just kind of the driving force of trying to get the movie made. Um, and that might be an interesting way to think about it as a writer. It's like, yes, you might be a screenwriter, but you know, try to assume the role of the filmmaker and really guide the story to the process of becoming a movie, which means you might have to put on more hats than you want to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it'll be the most valuable learning experience that you could have. And the amount of times that I'll see, whether it's people asking or, you know, posts on social media of, you know, I'm, I'm a writer, I just finished my first feature script. How do I get money? I want to put this in pre-production. I'm just like, uh, don't. <laughs> Trust me. Um, if you're going to make a feature, don't have it be your first script. Like, maybe you're, a, you're just born for this, but more than likely you're not. I think maybe take five pages of it, try and film that, and you'll realize that this is complete trash, and that's okay. But then you're going to have that extra huge bit of knowledge to go make something that isn't trash from when you had a written script to when it was produced can you think of specific ways that that made you better at writing your next thing well i think i think the first narrative short i made like the big lesson learning after after getting it produced was to really I guess vet everything and know um, how how it was going to play out. Um, I, I don't think I completely trusted everything when I made my first short. I I just had this weird nagging to like make it. I've, there's a certain point in the process where I didn't know if I could take it any further in terms of development. I was just like, well, oh, this is. This is as much as I can do, and I and I just thought about making it after that. Um, I think later on, with you know, pro any projects after that, it was it was really more about trusting the actual process of the filmmaking, I guess, um, because there was, there's not really because at, at any stage as a writer, the current moment for you is always when you're at your best. <laughs> Um, mm -hmm. but that best might not be good enough sometimes. Uh, but you still have mm -hmm. to continue to try to make stuff. So, um, I think, uh, it's just about like seeing the limitations as a filmmaker. Um, and then going forward, you know, I could be a little more ambitious with the stories, the types of stories and, and the actual, um, writing because I could, tell if I could execute it or not um, but you know for some writers you might just hire the right production company or the or the right director that could execute it so uh, for me personally there's definitely the, the type of things I write is kind of tied to if I'm going to make it or not so I think very very much about that when I'm writing something yeah it's a good point where you bring up you know, your first short, you had a script and you were like, this is as far as I can take this, take this. And I think that was me on part, party stories as well. I remember thinking like, okay, I've done four or five drafts of it, whatever it was. And I was like, I don't know 
what else I can do? I think this is my peak writing now. And, you know, I think we were kind of running out of time in pre-production anyway, so the timing for filming lined up. But I remember thinking, I don't have any ideas to make this better. This is as good as I can make this script. And of course, looking back at it now, I'm like, the amount of things I would change about that script are, you know, just, there's a lot of stuff. Um, but it's a good thing when you reach that point of this is as good as I can make it for now. You go make that thing and then you gain the knowledge for your next one. And I know for everything I've ever made, I could look back and say, oh, you know, t- hindsight's twenty twenty. It would have been good to change this scene like this or do another rewrite or, or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But getting down to the the finite things that I think I learned from making party stories, the biggest one, bar none, I remember thinking this when there was a speech in the middle of the movie where Diego, so Jeff, the guy that played Jeff Monk, he had this, God, it must have been a two or three page monologue. It was huge. And I remember writing it and just feeling so good about it. And we shot it. We're in the editing room and I'm like, I think one point you and I were like, we got to cut the majority of this. This guy talks forever. Why is he talking so much? (laughs) And he didn't improv any of it. I wrote it all. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I remember thinking just because it's, it's clever or it flows well when you're writing it, that does not mean that it's going to translate to something interesting on the screen. And there's a real test when you're watching something and someone's giving a monologue, you can only take so much of it. It only holds so much water. And to this day, anytime someone sends me a script, if there's a monologue and it's more than half a page, three quarters of a page, if it's really good, I'm like, all right, man, I know what you're going for here. And yes, the dialogue's good. It works on the page. I've been through this. If you film this and you get into editing, you're going to cut 75% of this out. Don't have super long monologues. And just because dialogue is clever doesn't make it good. And this isn't, that statement isn't just in the monologue sense. That could be in a sense of a back and forth. It could be in a quick exchange. You know, dialogue isn't always interesting and you really need to be honest and borderline harsh on yourself on if you should keep it in or if you should cut it down and try and think more visually. I actually, um, I watched a video today. It was about a German screenwriter from the 30s. And I guess he came to America and his agent billed him as the most um, visual screenwriter that has ever existed. So they went to Paramount and said this. And they were like, all right, let's give him a shot. So they went up to him and they said, we have this movie that's going into production. Here's the scene we need cut down. It's 10 pages. It's a couple talking. And the gist of it is they don't love each other anymore. They have largely just become two people that live in the same house. There's no emotion. There's no love. It's 10 pages of dialogue. It's too much. Can you cut it down? And he's like, yeah, sure. No problem. So he deleted all 10 pages. And the scene he wrote was... The couple walks into an elevator of their apartment building. He's got a hat on. The wife has a purse and she's kind of holding it tight to her chest. They go up a floor. Doors open. And then a pretty girl walks in. The husband takes his hat off, says hello to the girl. The the wife takes a step to the right trying to avoid him. He puts his hat back on and they stand in silence. And it was like just that visual thing with you know, one line of dialogue got across better, the message better than 10 pages of dialogue could. And that's something that I learned a lot from party stories. And honestly, I'm still learning now. Everything I write, I find has less and less dialogue in it. And the more succinct you can get with dialogue, I think the better. Don't think you're Tarantino. Yeah, that's good advice. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever, did you ever go through anything like that with dialogue? No, I don't tend to write too much dialogue anyways. Yeah, I know you're pretty short on it usually. Yeah, I mean, the last the last thing I've written had, had the most dialogue in it, but I think that's just a symptom of it being so long. 
Um, mm-hmm. But um, I think it just kind of trusting your own, you know, voice and and, and trusting your own uh, choices as well. I think uh, with the confidence that you get from you know experience with writing, you also have to be your own biggest critic. And I think that's very helpful. Whereas, you know, you could have the problem of being overconfident with your writing. And when, when someone looks at it and gives you feedback, they'll be, you know, honest and critical. And a good way to tell if you're taking it well is by how offended you get. Um, but uh, I think there's also, you know, the, the opposite end of the stick where you can be very... Um, unsure about everything you write and be completely kind of handcuffed by that, you know, the fear of like, oh, it's not good enough and, you know, who's going to want to read this and that kind of fear and that feeling of, you know, being inadequate or something. Um, But I think the the remedy to to both of them is, is, is in some ways connected because the person that's overconfident probably at some point um, felt like they they weren't getting enough praise or love for their work or for their stuff when they were probably a lot younger. Um, And the person that's very unsure about what they're doing might have gotten too much praise or love and been told that they might be a genius. (laughs) Um, So when they actually start to do the work, they're very unsure because... They don't feel like it's genius work. Um, so I think it's about moderating yourself and knowing that there are days or there are scenes that will be good and some scenes that will maybe suck. But I think uh, it's maybe calls back to what I was talking about earlier where you get a, a nice feeling when it's good. But what's funny is you can't trust that feeling and you have to learn to distrust that feeling early on (laughs) because it's not really about how you feel about the writing. It's more about um, the writing actually getting done. I think that's important. Yeah. So before we go on to the topic of um, feeling out rewrites, I want to actually just touch on something you said right then, being your own worst critic. And honestly, I don't have a, a clear idea for my, stance on this but i think it's just something that i always find interesting every time so where you said be your own worst critic i know to me i am my own worst critic 100 percent. like i hate watching anything i've written i'll be the first to admit you know i like parts x y and z but just watching anything i do as a whole i i can't do it i only see the mistakes and i know that's a very common thing but i also see so many filmmakers out there and oh almost always they're young young like first-time filmmakers and they have the total opposite of that like they are their own best praiser and i just don't get it like people will send me their movies and not everyone falls under this category but they'll be like yeah you know i'm super happy with how this turned out look at these you know nice things these people have said and i'll watch it and i'm like this is awful this is pure pure liquid shit (laughs) so the question i have is like do you have an opinion on why some people are their own worst critic and why some people are completely oblivious to their faults in filmmaking well in filmmaking is is kind of too specific. I think it has more to do with the person's general upbringing, which has a lot to do with how they perceive criticism. Because the way you take criticism in any form is is very closely linked to how you received it early on as a child. Um, but I do think um, you know wording is important. I don't think it's important for you to be your most harsh critic. Uh, because I think that's very close to self-loathing and, and being very like, oh my God, you know, this is awful. You know, none of this is good and throwing it away. You'll never get anything done with that kind of mindset. 
it it definitely has to be about moderating your own writing. Um, honestly, uh, I think the smart writer is is a friend to themselves, where they know when something is bad, and they can say, "Well, that could be better," and they make that acknowledgement, and they're able to take a scene that could be better and putting it aside. And knowing that the one failure in the scene doesn't mean that they're a bad writer. It just means that one scene they've got to do a little better and they maybe had a bad day or they didn't sleep enough when they wrote it or it was just a poorly formed idea. Um, and, and, the, and the smart writer who's a friend to themselves also is able to um, see a good scene and say, hey, that was pretty good. It turned out okay. You know, I'm happy with how it turned out but they don't dwell on that. They move on to the next scene. Um, so it's about kind of being in that middle ground where you can take the the wins um, mm-hmm. and kind of like, you know, put them into the, the good category and move forward, but you don't take the losses and like, you know, whip your own back with it. Like it, it doesn't have <laughs> to be that aggressive. You You have to recognize when something isn't good, but then fix it and then move on from there but i think when you're too harsh on yourself that's also a problem because some people can get into that kind of loop of they they over criticize themselves and they're not going to be able to get anything done and it's also just kind of harmful to your you know your mental just because it kind of really messes with you but with uh you know someone who's for example way too confident in they believe that everything they write is pure gold. There's a type of like um, underlying uh, need, I guess, because you know that person may have wanted to do something for a long time, but no one ever told them they're good enough, or no one ever said that they were able to. And because there's kind of a lack of love for, you know and this is really getting into like psychoanalysis and stuff but it could have been like as a kid this person didn't get enough love from a parent <laughs> or from a teacher um, in, in some sort of like relationship where they knew they wanted praise for something but they didn't get enough of it at a young age um, so you know when they become an, uh, an older person in any field or even a filmmaker they might be overconfident or 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 try to be too, like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be the best and I'm, you know, so good at what I do and they're constantly, like, promoting themselves to everyone. It's because there's kind of a lack of love that stemmed from an earlier point in their life, possibly. So, you know, that has to be um, looked at kind of on a personal level for the for the person in that position. But also, it's hard to talk to a person who's, like that because there will there will be a lot of denial um i find when someone starts from a place of low confidence it's easier to have a conversation with them about how they can get more confidence because at least they're aware of the low confidence um and the self-loathing but as a writer or as a creator or an artist if you start from a place of i am the greatest thing in the world it's very difficult to talk that person to you know why are you overcompensating? Because it becomes very accusatory. Uh, <laughs> yeah, honestly, I think those are really those are going to be really comforting words for the people with low confidence that you mentioned. And I know I'm going to try and take them to heart. So I think that's a perfect point to go into the next thing because nothing I can say can come close to that. Uh, we talked about this a little bit before we started rolling, and we both have a bit of a different approach to it. So how do you tackle the mental steps of rewriting before you even go into the document and start physically editing? What's your steps? Well, I think it's just finding enough time without distraction to fully read the script once, at least. Um, do you try and do it in one sitting? Yeah, like I want, I'd like to read the script in one sitting to get a complete kind of image of everything. I think through that initial first sitting, there will be major moments in the script that stick out to your head that you kind of know, that you won't even forget because they're that crucial for you to go back and look at it again. Um, I think that's definitely helpful. Uh, 
also it just kind of helps you see if the voice in the story is consistent because i did you know i did find with this super long script i wrote that from the beginning to the end there are times and even in writing where i was like is the voice of this character going to be consistent or is it like morphing over time and stuff but i i think like when you do a full read through um for something that long then you can kind of gauge whether the voice of a character is consistent in some way because obviously it does change over time um but you you want to kind of feel like it's the same person by the end of the script anyway so <laughs> yeah totally i i think that's a really good a really good start for anyone that wants to do a rewrite because i think if you I, actually i couldn't even imagine trying to do a rewrite and not reading the script beforehand going strictly off the memory that you had from when you first wrote it so i think definitely sit down and read your thing you know try and do it in one sitting if you if your kid starts puking up a storm and you got to tend to him you know you got to do what you got to do but try i think the one sitting thing is a good idea um after that i think is where you and i start to differ a little bit because you go largely on intuition for what you're gonna cut and elaborate on and change and everything that's going to be different right Mm -hmm. so how does that work for you do you have your script you read the whole thing and then do you go by it scene by scene and say oh i liked scene one i'll leave that or i didn't like scene two i'll I'll take that out and do it scene by scene, or you just go from the top of page one, read a line, change what you want to, and go till you're done. Well, it's funny because, you know, when even when you talk about scene, like to me, the word scene is very confusing and not useful. Because um, I don't even think about um, the film that way in my head. I, I'm thinking about it as like a section of a story or a specifically a location. So when I'm writing, um, I think more in terms of sections of the movie, but then if I'm doing a rewrite, I'm, I'm really thinking about the, the kind of action that's taking place per location. Uh, and I work on it in that aspect. Um, so it's very much about can compartmentalizing the film kind of by locations in my head. Cause I can kind of see every location. Um, and every time the, the next scene happens it's kind of more related to a location um as opposed to a scene heading being like the division of a scene to me in my head the scenes feel more connected to like every time a location changes so i kind Mm -hmm. of work in that way where i'll just kind of start rewriting or, or going through the script um and as i'm changing things it's more related to like if i feel like something is working i will stick to it um and if I feel like something could be improved, it'll either be, you know, one or one of two things. Like, it'll be like, it's something's a little confusing here, or it's not quite impactful as I want it to be. And I'll kind of just change lines and sentences and words and stuff like that. Or it'll just be fundamentally, it's not working at all in the way that I want. And most of this isn't very good. I'll just delete the whole thing and just rewrite the whole thing. So it'll be literal rewrite um in the most specific sense and but i I basically do that process until i get to the end of the script yeah i think again that's a really like that's what i will do to start so when i finish call it the first draft or any draft really i'll finish it i'll send it off to people i know and then i'll always be meditatively thinking on it whether it's actively or just kind of having it in the back of my head and then by the time i go to rewrite i'll kind of have gathered people's thoughts on it and i think i'm actually pretty successful at keeping other people's thoughts on it separate in my mind but equally important and keeping mine on a a different level and looking at them as their own unique things So I'll go through and I'll read the script and then I'll say, okay, here is everything that doesn't work for me. And like you mentioned, if it's total trash, then I'll just go in and say, you know, pages 10 through 34 don't work and I'll just blank delete all of them. Or if it's something that I'm like aspects of this don't work, 
I think I've talked about this on the show before. I'll go into it and right underneath the scene header, I'll write a note, all bold, underline italics and bigger font. And I'll write it in the voice of Eric Cartman mocking me because <laughs> it just keeps it interesting for me. And I'll say, here's exactly what's wrong. Here's what I think I need to do to fix it. And then I'll call myself a dumbass or something like that because I think it's funny. Um, but then after that, I'll really try and keep in mind everyone else's notes and go through a process of what do those notes mean? Are they something they just didn't understand that's actually in there? Because sometimes people can just miss stuff. And if they did miss it, why? And what can I do to improve upon that? Or they, the majority of people really don't like X. How can I make that better? And then I'll kind of analyze that as I go through. So for me, it's very analytical as well as being, you know, kind of relying on my emotions. Um, and I'll just be hard on myself and chop it up and chop it up and rewrite until it's done kind of thing. Like you, cause you, I think like most people probably work in the way you do where they incorporate kind of notes into the writing process, but also they keep in mind the notes they get from other people. Um, I think the, maybe with my process, it's very much in a bubble. And I think I can admit to that where I do write in a bubble and I do finish projects in a bubble where I get very <laughs> few opinions from people. Um, and even when I do get, get opinions from people, I tend not to take them all the time. So, um, it is very, they are very different approaches to the process. Um, but it's still, similar in the sense that we're working kind of linear because I, I tend to work in a very linear fashion where I start at the top and end of the, at, at the very end of the film um, I only skip sections if I'm very confident that that's what I'm going for and I'm happy with it but it's it's you know even like in terms of like dialogue and stuff I'll often change like one word or add like a another word here for almost like most of it so there'll all be always be like little tiny changes in dialogue as well so uh it's definitely just kind of refining i'm writing this new thing that i actually just finished writing it pretty well i wrote one scene where as soon as i finished writing it i was just thought to myself this is a good good scene i feel really really great about this and this was something that i didn't outline so the scene wasn't really planned it just kind of came about and i found it through the writing process and when i read it again i thought okay i like this even more like what do i think i did so well in this and i kind of broke it down and said okay i think one of the things i love so much is I'm doing a lot more than one thing at once here. It's a scene with a group of people, but there's really two different scenes and they're both telling very powerful stories within themselves. And then the idea of, you always hear professional screenwriters say scenes do more than one thing at once came to my head and I was like, man, is this the first scene I've written that really truly could be considered, you know, like a kind of great thing that does more than one thing at once and it does it effectively and then i started beating myself up about it and i was like oh shit is this the only good scene i've ever written so i went back through the entire script and kind of realized i was being a bit too hard on myself all the scenes while they might not be as striking and as powerful as that one they all do fulfill more than one thing at once and none of them feel like dead weight and i kind of realized that this is the way that i go through a lot of writing and rewriting in a very analytical way. And I think it really works for me. It helps me see things that I wouldn't see before and trying to go in and break them down from um, a made meditative standpoint and a, call it academic standpoint, even though I never went to college or anything. It's really what helps me realize what I've written and what can be better and what needs to change. But you don't do that at all, Latif. I don't know. I guess I find it kind of tedious for me to like overanalyze like th the things I've written. Um, we, you know, and I don't mean that I don't read my own writing. Um, I, I read it 
but I read it at a very basic level. Um, or I'm just reading the scene as it is, and I'm not thinking about the structure of the scene or anything. In fact, when I write, I don't try. I try not to think about structure or anything like that at all. Um, I find it. I find the concepts and all that to be just way too distracting and kind of useless for myself. So I, I try not to think too much about structure and acts and and moments and climaxes and. Um, I, I for me, it's just a simple. And, and plain is just like if I'm reading it and I'm enjoying the story and and how it's playing out, then you know that's good enough for me. And if there's something that's not working or it doesn't lead anywhere or doesn't feel like it's resonating, then I just kind of work on it and and rehash it out until I'm happy with it. So it's almost as simple as that. I find when I try to look at it too analytically it doesn't really help me at all because even if i can look at something and and see that it's like broken down in you know moments and and if the scene is fulfilling like three different functions at once even if it does those things it doesn't necessarily mean it'll be good writing um i think as long as i'm engaged and it's kind of like stimulating me in the right way that's kind of how i gauge whether it's working or not yeah i think the the metric of just is this interesting is it keeping me engaged is a is a great great one um and i want to piggyback on something you said real quick on the not thinking about structure that's one thing that i'm actually a big advocate for as well i think it's really helpful for people when they're in their earlier screenwriting days like I lived off Save the Cat for my first three scripts because if I didn't have that breakdown of page 15-ish, this should happen, page whatever, this should happen, then honestly, I would have truly been lost and I never would have written anything. But now that I have written quite a bit, you know, I'm into double digits in features alone, I've written what I would consider a very good amount and I don't think about structure at all. If anything, the only thing that I'll think of that even kind of resembles structure is arcs and more not so much arcs of plot where like you know um guy gets shot is quadriplegic builds iron man suit takes vengeance not like that like I'll think emotional arcs um I know that my character starts off being bitter with the world at some point um, X is going to happen to him that's going to change his viewpoint and by the end he's not going to be bitter with the world because of Y and that's going to be the emotional arc and it's that's something that I'll never write down and I'll never try and plot it out or beat it out or say on page X this part's going to happen it's just I know where the person ends I, or where they start where they end and roughly very, very, very roughly when something will happen to them to take them along and help them change. So by looking at it in terms of emotion and what it means to kind of the human spirit, that is kind of my compass for writing and rewriting. Do you ever look at it in terms of arcs, whether it be plot or emotion? No. Not really. Like, I, I think it's the closest I can say to, you know, something being like an arc is just, you know, where a character ends up by the end of the story. I mean, the only, like, broad mm -hmm. things that I, th I sometimes think about is, like, how I want a character to kind of end off in a story, like, where I want them to be or or how I want them to, like, be emotionally but even then, I, I try not to think about it too much in terms of like this kind of emotional arc. Like I nev I've never drawn or, or written anything even connected to that in any way. I think I've I've more thought about everything that happens in the story like in, in a very simple way. Like I ask myself the question, like, what do I want to see? And it's really kind of a self-indulgent, like what interests me is what I will kind of go with. But even in terms of the writing process, I, I almost try to write as spontaneous as like life would happen to you. It's almost like I'm guessing 
in a weird way like i'm guessing moment to moment of what's going to happen um there's, there's very little foresight i guess i'm kind of revealing of revealing myself is to be like completely like gerbil brained where i can't think about something for too long <laughs> and I have to write as quickly as possible it's like i'm on hamster ri- a wheel and i need I need to just keep going um <laughs> So it's very it's very unstructured, you know. I'd say like the way I work is like the definition of an unprofessional screenwriter. Um, there's no kind of sense to it. There's no structure. There's no way to analyze it properly. It's just very much like I I write as as my mind works. I just keep going. Um, and every time I find something interesting, even in terms of note taking, I just write it down somewhere, and that's about as close as I have to like any sort of structure. But I, it's hard for me to think about story in that way because I feel like I'm very it gets very boxed in. If I try to like, oh, this must happen and this must happen, I don't think I've ever used like a page number to like tell me where to land or anything like that. I have to be honest; I don't even think there's a proper climax to the script I've just written. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah yeah that's awesome and you know i think you've actually converted me to the non um the non-outline type like i mentioned i'll have a uh i can kind of see the arc emotionally in my head but the last three or four scripts i've written i haven't used outlines and the the newest one that i just finished today I it I find it's just really exciting to not write like that now. And again, I think it's only because I have more confidence confidence as a writer. I'm kind of have a little bit of faith in my abilities. Where I mentioned before, I'll need I needed save the cat. You know, that's the only way I could write scripts before. Um, but now I've just kind of free write it to the point where. With this new thing I just finished writing, I knew someone was going to die in it. And I was like, okay, I kinda, I'm pretty sure it's this person. I don't know how they're going to go out. But I see this cataclysmic event in the future based off of the pages that I've already written that are setting up something. And I was like, I'm pretty sure this guy's going down. And then I'd write 10 pages and be like, oh, I don't know. Is he going to die? Maybe it's going to be this person. And then I write another five pages. It's like, maybe that's that person. And it really felt like a, a journey of discovery, kind of along the same ways of when you're watching something. And then by the time I got to the end and the person, it came time for that person to die. It went in a different direction and they didn't die, but something equally as... Crazy happened, I guess, for lack of a better word. And just that process of discovery has been very invigorating. So if you're in a point where you have a decently baked in knowledge of rough structure, I would recommend trying it because I only tried it because Latif did it so much. And I was like, I want to know what he's talking about. And I'm enjoying the shit out of it so far. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, it, it makes the stuff you're working on a little less predictable um, and a little kind of looser in a way that it, no one would think to write that way in a structured system. Um, mm-hmm. It feels very organic. Mm-hmm. And, and it's also just a good way to kind of exercise that inner voice like we were talking about of trusting itself. Um Whereas I think there is a safety that comes with outlining. Yes. Where you're not really worried about where it's going to go because you kind of have mapped it out already. But, you know, everyone works differently. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, do you have any last notes on the pre-thoughts of rewriting or any, you know, helpful tips? Yeah, you know, definitely take a break once you've done your first draft and before you go into your next yep. version of the script. 
you know, I, I there's specifically a book that I wanted to read that I'm going to read before I do my next rewrite. Um, so it's just like I've put a task specifically between me writing. Like I, I, I don't want to write the next draft of the script until I read this book, which is kind of a purposeful way to like separate me in terms of time. Um, but, but also just, I guess, uh, when you're doing the next draft is you just have to kind of by the end of it ask yourself what this story is about and what it's doing you know how we talk about like thinking about a theme and stuff when you write and i think i've mentioned several times where i don't i don't think about like the theme or like what kind of you know if if there's like a moral to the story or anything like that um i don't think about that when i write but i think when you re- when you read something the second time it, the story kind of reveals to you what it's about in a way. Um, so I think it, mm-hmm. in that initial reading of the second draft, you can kind of, by the end of it, um, ask yourself and and see, like, what is the story about? And it kind of shows itself to you when you read it the second time. Yeah, I think that's great advice. All right. Well, until next week, I'm Matt Ralston. And I'm Latif. This has been another edition of Filmcraft. So, one week until the release of What We Don't Say, we'll try and get an episode out on the actual day that What We Don't Say releases as well, but last chance to pre-order it. After that, it's just regular order, and it's a little less cool. So if you want to pre-order, now would be the time. And thanks for all your support, guys. <laughs>